The Bioceuticals Integrative Medicine Awards are fast approaching. The Beamers showcase the outstanding talent we have in the Australasian integrative medicine profession and are held in conjunction with the Bioceuticals Research Symposium. To book your ticket to this gala dinner event, visit bioceuticals.com.au and click on the Education tab. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining me on the line today is Maria Schafflinder, who's a clinical nutritionist with a special interest in mental health, gut health and genetics, as well as children's developmental health. Having encountered diverse health challenges throughout her childhood and adult life, ranging from digestive issues to mental health challenges, her focus is to provide an investigative approach to health and address her client's health piece by piece. Maria has a clinic in Bondi, New South Wales, and Skypes clients nationally and internationally. She's also a Mind Foundation practitioner and an accredited genetic SNP test practitioner. Welcome to FX Medicine. Maria, how are you? I'm great, Andrew. I'm really well. Great to be here. <laughs> That's good. Now, today we're going to be talking about hair analysis, and I guess with a particular bent on mental health, but you watch me go off track here because it's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I think first, can you take our listeners through your history and career? Because it's very interesting. And as you say, you know, you've overcome quite some substantial health issues yourself. Sure, sure. So my career in nutrition has started fairly recently, only about five years ago. Um, prior to that, I was actually in marketing, promoting some pretty uh, toxic and processed uh, foods and personal care products. Um, so oh. I have uh, quite a good understanding of uh, you know the marketplace and the, the way that we're bombarded with these things. Mm. Um, but in terms of my interest in nutrition, that sort of evolved over time. Um, I have always struggled with gut health, as you mentioned, and I think what really propelled me to start uh, investigating a career in nutrition was my um, first child's health, my son, um, who struggled with food intolerances, and particularly he had a really long period of insomnia when he was about three or four years old, which was completely destroying my adrenals mm. <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've actually uh, investigated hair analysis at the time and it was extremely revealing. And um, having addressed that um, over through the next two years, um, it really made me realize the power of nutrients and um, diet and uh, eliminating toxic metals especially for children. So what what was it that's tweaked you to say, I need to look at hair mineral analysis as opposed to other uh, ways of assessing nutritional status? Well, it was actually pointed out to me by a chiropractor that we were seeing at the time who is also a nutritionist. And uh, he basically said to me, you need to look at what's happening with heavy metals. So it was pointed out. Uh, I wasn't aware of that test at the time. Um, and since I've started doing that uh, with my kids, both my kids have had several hair <laughs> analyses done, including myself as well. 
um, yeah, I've just in my clinic started using it uh, for every single client and finding pretty incredible results. Uh, having being able to interpret it in line with the client's case, I think that's a really important point to make. It's not an isolated piece of evidence; it has to be looked at in line with what is happening with the client. Of course. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about your earlier experiences like you know did it just was it like a light bulb moment or did was it something that you had to really get used to over a period of time to you know decipher the results and indeed what they mean um it was yeah definitely there was some learning and definitely i consulted the appropriate um technical support and um, other practitioners definitely so it wasn't something i just deciphered on my own i've learned from a lot of really amazing people um, in the industry who use hair analysis uh, on you know on a daily basis like myself now so there was a lot of learning for sure uh, but the light bulb mo- moment came I think when I looked at some of the hair analyses and compared them to what the person was presenting with mm. and it you know it just was an amazing revelation to see how well their biochemistry was reflected in a really simple test. So, so are you saying that they had biochemistry, um, biochemical analysis as well, and that this correlated? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, if the client happens to have their blood done, uh, you know, it's not it's not about hair analysis correlating with blood, and I think that's a really common misconception, and I think that's actually what's been stopping a more widespread usage of hair analysis yep, because agreed. a lot of yeah physicians and you know uh, even natural therapists compare blood test results to hair and they're just completely separate things they look at different parts of the body and they look at uh, you know completely different um, areas and tissues <laughs> so it's it's not really relevant to compare them. It's more about looking at the test results that a client has, um, whether it's blood or gut test results or other pathology, and putting the story together with the help of hair analysis. Well, so let's talk about this interpretation. When, if you if you're doing a hair analysis, when is high in hair? equal to high in body, like an overload, or conversely, when does high in hair mean low in body, i.e. when you're talking about like a mineral loss out of the Mm. body and it's presenting in the hair? What's the relevancy? Do you want to give us some examples as well? Sure. Look, I find that this one is actually very, very individual. So I've seen, um, especially with children, I've seen a few cases where they came up, for example, very high magnesium and zinc on hair coming off the chart. And, of course, they're presenting with behavioural problems and anxiety and fussy eating. So you you know from history that that child is going to have zinc deficiency, most likely, Mm. And, you know, they're hyperactive and they get cramps. So they're probably going to have a magnesium deficiency. So right away, you know that those highs coming off the chart are actually a loss. Um, But what I find is it's not consistent from person to person. So that's where you have to really use the clinical skills and understand their their symptom picture um, because I find it's individual. So a lot of the time they will present with low so when it's obvious, 
when you have a really obvious case, I think you just get, you know, really low zinc and you're really low magnesium and you know they're lacking those nutrients, for example. Yeah. Um, but also uh, with a lot of thyroid cases, I find, and people who use hair analysis practitioners will notice this, I'm sure, where you have this really high calcium and magnesium coming off the chart. Right. Um, it's not because they have too much calcium and magnesium. No, it's it's because they're losing it. Yeah. Exactly. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. issues where, you know, you might have used hair analysis let's say inadvertently because you're tracking the patient's response and you might have seen the nutrients rising as treatment is instituted, nutritional treatment. So you're actually seeing or tracking the benefit of that nutritional um, intervention? Absolutely, yeah. And in terms of rising, it's very interesting to see that with toxic metals because a lot of the time, um, and I'm going to discuss this at length at the upcoming webinars um, for nutritionists and naturopaths, yeah. um, a lot of the time the first hair analysis will come back with no heavy metals at all, and that's quite common because the person's detoxification capacity is probably impaired and they're not excreting metals. Um, and once the nutritional program is instituted and you put in your zinc and your magnesium and your B vitamins, next time you do a hair analysis six months later, you have these piles of mercury or arsenic appearing on the hair analysis that were not there before. So it's, when we know how minerals work and we look at the periodic table, we know that toxic metals have similar molecular weight and functions to um, the positive minerals like zinc, for example. So once you push through your positive minerals, you'll get this sort of spike of um, toxic metals. That's quite common. But that happens with the uh, essential minerals as well. So once you start instituting the correct nutritional program, you'll see them come up and that's usually a good thing because they're usually deficient. Most people are deficient in everything. Right. So, okay, so when you're looking at toxic metals, let's take mercury because it's like the poster child of toxic metals. And let's say you're leading somebody through a detox. If mercury is rising, would that not indicate that there's obviously liberation from tissues, but how do you know that it's not being redistributed throughout other tissues? Well, it probably is being redistributed throughout the tissues and that's the scary part because as the body starts eliminating it from the storage areas, right. so usually the liver and the brain, uh, it may go in back into circulation through the blood uh, to on its way to elimination. Mm. So I think that's where we have to really pick up uh, some binding um tools, you know, binding supplements, um, which have developed, I think, tremendously on the market and are now very safe and effective. Yeah, Chris Shade was mentioning these, yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm. To to go through and, uh, you know, sponge up and pick up those metals that are being liberated. And, you know, clients, patients will experience symptoms around that time, their detox symptoms for sure. And and if when you continue therapy, do you then see that peak go up and then drop off? as the mercury is taken out of the body? Yeah, it's interesting to see. I mean, obviously you have to make sure that there's no continued exposure. Mm. So that's where, you know, you you need to advise the client to stop eating tuna and swordfish. (laughs) Swordfish, (laughs) Yes, and, you know, look at their environment. And usually I find, you know, with mercury, 
there's not usually any acute exposure unless it's, um, you know, industrial, unless the person is involved with um, toxic metals for work. Usually it's an accumulation from generations and generations. So once they understand to not take on any more mercury, then it's just a matter of pushing it out with detoxifying minerals and um, establishing correct gut function to minimise that reabsorption through the gut yep. um, and picking it up with some binders. Yeah. What about things like iodine, selenium? Do you track those as well? And do you find that that's um, useful in tracking the efficacy of therapy in any way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with iodine is not actually present on all hair analyses. Mm. It is on some. But mm. with iodine, I actually use a different uh, pathology test with the loading test, um, which is shown to be the most accurate um, so far. So there's a uh, 24-hour loading excretion um, test for iodine. But, yeah, with selenium and iron and zinc, um, which are all your you know classic thyroid minerals, you can see improvement, definitely. But I find the biggest clue to thyroid improvement on hair analysis is that balance between the big four, the calcium, magnesium, and sodium, potassium. Right. So as we know, adrenals play a huge role in thyroid health. So once that sodium, potassium starts coming up, which is a really good indicator of adrenal health and digestive health, and they start balancing out with calcium, magnesium. That's where I find the patient actually improves. The client's health improves a lot. Now, now you've just said something that's piqued my interest. You just said digestive health. Now, I'm wondering if mm. somebody's got malabsorption and, mm -hmm. you know, let's say their body is therefore under a stressor. Um, because it's trying to work under a lack of um, absorptive nutrients um, or absorption of nutrients. Um, do you find in poor digestion that you are getting wasting of certain minerals? And do you find as you repair digestion that the balance comes back, not just within, you know, what, as you said, the big four, but other minerals associated with um, or that you can measure with hair analysis? Yeah, absolutely. And I find, you know, out of close to 300 hair analysis that I've done so far, I've probably seen two or three where there has been sufficient levels of minerals. Wow. And sufficient, uh, you know, absorption capacity that you can judge from the analysis. And there, there has not been many. So that's probably about 1%, I would say. Welcome to the standard um, Australian diet from standard Australian exactly. soil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's really sad to see. I mean, it's obviously, you know, the people that we see in clinic have health problems and that's why they come to see practitioners. So the population is skewed to ill health, of mm. course, but... Um, it's you know it's uncommon to see good digestive health present on hair analysis, and it's usually um, I would say hydrochloric acid and stomach related. Yeah. That's really easy to see from hair analysis. So then that flows onto you know poor digestion and absorption yeah. and all of those things. Yeah, for sure. And what about malabsorption? <laughs> you know, like you know, if we talk about a 
uh, a new, let's say a nutritive, I'm going to use the word mineral, not to say that they're all minerals in the elemental, you know, chemical form, physical form. If I use the word mineral for, you know, calcium, potassium, sodium, zinc, selenium, iodine, which is a halide, of course, um, when you're repairing digestion, do you, have you ever seen a comparison be, from before to after? You know, after you're talking about you've done 300 odd tests, 300 plus tests, do you have a comparison of before and after and showing trends that you could track and maybe even predict in patients? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So wow. I very much work with um, repeat hair analysis. And I think that's a point to make there is it's one off hair analysis is not anywhere near as useful as tracking and repeating it at roughly six monthly intervals depending on the client. But yes, you can most certainly see a before and after and all the deficient lines coming up and everything equalizing. So um, everything on the hair analysis getting to a level which is the, so to speak, recommended level based Mm. on the research behind hair analysis. So once everything gets into that line, the person improves dramatically. Yeah. And they can see it as well. So it's very rewarding for the client to see that because they can see their health improve. And I've actually had, you know, clients come back and say, Oh, am I due for another hair analysis? I want to see what's happened (laughs) since the last one. Right. So they get excited. You know, it's a very visual uh So they get excited about seeing how their health has changed and if it's properly explained to them what each of the minerals actually represent. So it's not just sodium or potassium. It's, you know, you can talk about these are about your nervous system and these are about your digestive health and you need to create a story about the health and that's where I find it's very, very useful. Okay, so I'm going to ask something. I'm just thinking about trying to trick your patients up here and I'm wondering if you've ever, (laughs) obviously you'd have to have a good relationship with your patient to do this, but have you ever been able or been in the position where you have been uh, able to show a patient that they've been cheating? That they've been saying, hey, listen, you haven't really been (laughs) adhering to what we've been, and they've admitted it. Have you ever seen this? Um, A couple of times, yeah. That's probably more to do with their um, digestive health, yeah, yeah. and and stress levels, you know, and adrenals. Yeah, it's very, very, uh, it's impossible to cheat a hair analysis when it comes to adrenal health, particularly and yeah. stress, because it's very easy to see. Wow. So it's, it's, yeah, it's not so much from a dietary point of view, but I find more from the stress level mm. um, where, you know, I've said to, the, to them at their initial appointments, you know, we need to look at stress reduction strategies and your mental health and all of these things. And, you know, they say, oh, yes, I'm doing yoga. Oh, yes, I'm going for walks. And they forget that there's a whole load of emotional stress there, for example, that hasn't been addressed. Yep. And then the hair analysis come back, comes back and it's still showing quite a big adrenal dysfunction. So I've actually had not so much, you know, people admit to cheating, but actually people burst into tears when I've mentioned that. This has happened a few times where I said, I can still see that there's a major stress in your life. Right. And... And that's all I said. And right. it triggers that emotional response. Right. 
So, yeah, it's a really powerful tool. And then actually some of these people have gone back and addressed their family situation, situation with their spouse or work or any of those sort of really important factors that do put pressure on our adrenals and digestion and everything else. Mm. So that's been really powerful, actually. I have to ask, though, um, hair analysis is not without controversy. Um, so I sort of vacillate here. You know, I get that there, you know, is this difference between, you know, testing laboratories, but there's differences in standard laboratories. So how, where did you, if you like, settle in your mind about the controversies with hair analysis and what would you advise other practitioners to look into? Sure. Well, yeah, as you've said, with any pathology test, there's going to be um, issues with accuracy and replicability. Um, the lab that I use, so I've used the same lab for all my hair analyses so far, and um, I think that's a really important point is that for a clinician, uh, you know, whatever test they choose or whatever lab they choose, to use the same one consistently. Right. So I think that's where you get that really um, fundamental knowledge that you've described when something looks wrong because you see the same test all the time. So you understand that it has that consistency. Right. Um, look, in terms of different labs, there's uh, labs that wash the hair, there's labs that don't wash the hair. There's, um, you know, all sorts of different methodologies. Um, I think it just comes to uh, over looking over their research mm. and their methodology and understanding how it works and uh, making sure that that makes sense. But, you know, the biggest evidence that I've found for hair analysis is that it correlates with the patient picture. Right. 99% of the time, you know, and not all the time, there are some that come back that kind of just completely um, startle me. But 99% of the time, what you get back is what the patient presented with. Um, and in terms of uh, tissues, you know, so hair versus um, nails, I'm pretty sure there's not that much difference because the technology that's used in hair analysis can be used also on blood and nails. Mm. So it's uh, the technology that is like reflective, I believe. So it's, it's not really measuring the constituents, but it's using another method to analyse the tissue. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I think between nails and hair, as far as I know, and I'm not definitely not a technical expert on this, um, from what I've seen, it's very consistent. Right. Um, so I think it's more about uh, that consistency and picking the same lab and doing the same test, yep. whether it's blood or hair or urine or anything else. And when you do a large number, you begin to see the same patterns and you'll know straight away something yep. was out. Yeah. What about tissue sample collection? What about um, you know thing, issues like contamination? Even, for instance, if you're going to snip the hair um, using reasonable scissors to collect that tissue mm -hmm. sample, uh, being mindful of the shampoo that the patient has used, for instance, selenium-containing anti-dandruff shampoos, for instance. Um, 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we were mentioning before about toenails. I get, I would imagine, you know, any pathology lab would be, you know, very reticent to uh, take a sample of a an extremely nail uh, polished. <laughs> Um, clipping as well (laughs) you know there's a load of toxic minerals for you right there but but um what do you say to patients or is there a standard prep preparation method for um the tissue sample collecting yeah so i usually will tell them that they just need to wash it with their normal shampoo beforehand uh look i find to be honest the shampoo doesn't make much difference whether it's an organic one or a full of chemical ones um, that selenium zinc issue that you've mentioned mm. does happen with anti-dandruff shampoos, yep. definitely. So if I see a hair analysis, it will usually be very obvious. You know, you will have this zinc and selenium coming off the chart. And then the first question is, what sort of shampoo did you use? Um, so that's, that's completely fine. And usually those people will present with zinc deficiency issues as well, which is why they're using an anti-dandruff yeah, shampoo. Yeah. So it's, you know, usually fairly obvious. Um, definitely the hair has to be uncolored. So for a lot of women, that is an issue. And there's an option of using pubic hair, which is a popular one. Mm-hmm. And Unless, uh, of course, they color sure. that too. <laughs> yeah, haven't come across that yet, but I'm sure that's definitely a possibility. <laughs> ah, the but, mind boggles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely uncolored. You know, so usually I will take the sample myself at the consultation. I find that uh, much more effective. Right. Yeah. So using my own clean scissors, uh, you know, the same scissors all the time. And then I can clearly see where the hair is being coloured or not coloured. Yeah. Um, and I find that uh, they prefer that, you know, the patients prefer that because it also, I guess, you know, establishes your expertise and <laughs> knowing what you're doing. So the only time when I haven't done that is for interstate and overseas um, patients. So, yeah, I guess that's a bit of a limitation, but... You know, it, as long as the instructions are very clear mm. and the amount is indicated, how much they need to collect and from where, I find most people can get it right. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember years ago, um, you know, one lab, it was an overseas lab, and they were basically pumping up their own testing saying, you know, that other labs, you know, were they doing a hair analysis or an air analysis um, because Mm. they had a clean room and things like that. But I I started to wonder about this and I thought, well, just how sensitive are we talking here? Like, are we talking, you know, nanograms of, of molecules of minerals? And then I thought, well, what's the real relevance? So it's kind of like, uh, you know, I started to question, is, is, are they just doing a marketing parade? And I started to sort of think about the actual relevance of the minerals, the, the amounts of minerals, nutrients, elements that we're testing in hair analysis. What do you find here? Um, I find that sort of minute uh, calculation is probably not that clinically relevant, I have to say. I, I probably can compare it to using a gut stool analysis. Right. Where, you know, some labs measure uh, their gut bacteria to the billionth particle and, you know, some labs will just say four plus plus and, you know, that's the, the overall population of that particular bacterial um, genus. Yep. So it's, you know, whether you need to look at whether that's clinically 
important or not or whether, you know, that amount of zinc, whether it's at a 6 or at a 6.5, it's not really that important. Mm. It's more important to look at all the minerals in relation to each other. And the biggest thing that I want to convey about hair analysis is it's the pattern that you're looking for. So it's not so much the exact calculation of each mineral that's important. It's their ratios and relationships to each other and yep. the overall picture that yep. presents. Yep. So uh, yep. the other question I was going to ask was about um, heavy versus soft water. Again, what, what do you find? Well, look, I find it's not really that important. It's, I just don't see those sort of, um, you know, distinctions in the person's lifestyle, you know, where they come from. They're not really um, significant when it comes to their hair patterns. It's much more correlated with their actual health yep. and their symptoms. So whether someone lives, um, you know, on a farm or an interstate, there are. I found some geographical correlations. So, for example, I had a few patients from Canberra, mm. and they all came up really high with, um, I think it was nickel, or a, a toxic metal that's not highly toxic, but is not desirable. If mm. if the water supply does have a you know an excessive amount of something, um, then that may show up in the hair. And I guess you're talking about intake of water, not washing of water. Oh, exactly. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's actually in the body. So whatever is in that water that mm. they're drinking is in the body, unless they have a really good reverse osmosis filter, which you know more people are getting these days, but um, most don't. So whatever is in their hair is actually what's being drunk as well. And I guess it's the same thing with environmental exposure, uh, where you mentioned previously uh, you know, contamination from the environment. So if someone is working in a welding shop and they're exposed to toxic metals for 10 hours a day yep. and the hair is contaminated, everything else is going to be contaminated too. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're breathing those metals and they're touching them through the, you know, getting exposure through the skin. So it's not, I don't really see this contamination. Have you seen that with like occupational exposure? Have you been able to sort Absolutely. of... Wow. Yeah. You know, the occupational exposure are the worst affected people, for sure. Right. Yeah. Has anybody, indeed have you, um, been able to track those populations which have um, fluoride added to their water supply and versus those that don't? Well, unfortunately, fluoride is because it's a halide. Um, it doesn't show up on hair analysis. Right. Which is very, very frustrating. Um, so, it's, yeah, they're not able to track it. Um, but with fluoride, I think uh, it's a different issue because obviously thyroid health comes into that. Yeah. So, so that's you... more to do with, you know, once they implement a um, water system um, in their home that takes out the fluoride. Um, and we replenish the thyroid nutrients, that's where I see that come through. Yep. Yeah, fluoride yep. is a little bit tricky. Um, but occupationally, you know, I've had clients who are farmers and who work with metals, so even builders, but more sort of direct contact with, you know, making fly screens, aluminium fly screens and things like that. Mm. Um, their toxic metal levels have been pretty dramatic and very, uh, you know, take 
time to clear that out, uh, but you know, a lot of them have had to stop their occupation right. and choose something else. Yeah. Uh, talking about toxic metals or to- toxic minerals, and forgive me for lumping them all under that subject, mineral, it's just easy, mm-hmm. but um, things like lead, you know, that are deposited in, lo- in bone and that are obviously slowly metabolised with bone metabolism, do you find that if you might do a uh, comprehensive detox with a patient, if they had high lead, that then all is said and done, their lead levels decrease, happy patient, and then if you revisit that patient years later, that you see that the lead levels rising again with bone metabolism? Yeah, look, that's an interesting one. I mean, I haven't been in practice, unfortunately, for long enough to see, um, you know, that really long-term excretion. Mm. So from what I've seen, uh, definitely the the heavy metals like lead and um, fine aluminium also takes quite some time to clear. Actually, mercury seems to be easier to clear than some of the others. Yeah. Um, so, look, with lead and bone, definitely need to work on their um, bone health and their alkaline balance and um, acid and alkaline balance. So, it's, you know, instituting that nutritional program um, is very important. But I've actually one of the uh, mentors in hair analysis um, who's a practitioner in New Zealand who's been around for a really long time. Uh, when he presents his case studies, he goes through those really long-term, sort yeah. of over eight to ten years wow. um, case studies where he can see major changes in the, the toxic metals and their metabolism. Gotcha. Yeah. That would be really interesting to look at. Because, you yeah. know, like I, I get that it's controversial, you know, but there, there's a lot of these functional tests which are controversial, but I also think that they're lambasted without true cause as well. Um, exactly. You know, and, and as you say, you know, you're responsibly looking at the big picture, not looking at one test to direct therapy. You're looking at it to guide therapy um, and to give Absolutely. you answers. Yeah. It's definitely not instead of the blood test or any other pathology. It's a, it's a really great additional tool. And so you've mentioned things like thyroid, which I've got to say I never thought of. Um, tracking the health of a thyroid problem, a thyroid issue in your patients. What other conditions does hair mineral analysis really, and forgive this pun, shine? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Well, I actually uh, do a lot of mental health work. So it seems to just sort of find me. I've never chosen to, you know, specialise in that or anything like that. Um, but with mental health, I find it's very, very revealing to look at hair analysis. And um, one of the case studies that I'll be presenting in the webinar series is a bipolar case study where, you know, I've tracked, uh, you know, done an initial hair analysis which showed some significant um, zinc and copper imbalances as well as uh, vitamin B12 metabolism imbalances. Mm. And instituted a program. Um, so this person actually was a typical pyrrole case. Um, so instituted a program to address his pyrroles and his blood glucose and his methylation. Then retested that same person twelve months later, and it's quite amazing what uh, turnaround has been achieved. So also. Um, 
children with developmental disorders, so autism spectrum and uh, various learning difficulties. Yeah. Uh, I find with children, particularly hair analysis, I just I find it invaluable because usually it's what you see is what you get with children. You know, yeah. There's no layers of disease. There's just simple metabolic patterns that present and um, heavy metals that present. And I, I think that's a really rewarding part and that's kind of where I started with hair analysis with kids. And any clinician that sees children, I think, uh, needs to really um, look at hair analysis as a as a really clin- a useful clinical tool yeah. because it's, it's just so simple to address, you know, and the, the results that you see um, can be seen very fast as well. You know, the treatment implementation and the results are very quick to show. So, Can I just ask you a little point about that? Given, you know, like autistic kids, some of them have a real issue with that, that hypersensitivity of the sensation of having their hair cut. How, yes. how do you handle it? How do you, how do you get through with these kids? Distract them with a phone or a screen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting because they, they definitely don't like it. So right away you can tell, you know, sensory child, as soon as you touch their hair as lightly as possible, they, they react negatively. Um, so usually, you know, with the little kids, I get them to sit on their parents' laps. Yep. And, you know, they're being held and comforted yep. whilst it's happening. Mm-hmm. And I've just become very, very swift at doing it quickly right. and getting enough hair the first time yes. <laughs> so that it's a very quick operation. Right. Because yes. I, I, I always wonder, you know, is it better to try and get the child used to it and try and um, take away their fear? Or is it sometimes you've just got to be pragmatic and get the thing done? Yeah, I think with a test, you know, you just need to get in there and get it done. But then I guess the whole point of them um, undergoing a nutritional protocol after that is to reduce those sensitivities. And, you know, as we know, there's definitely nutrients that play into that hypersensitivity. Yeah. Um, so addressing that, I do find, I found that with my own kids as well. Once their nutrient levels are at an adequate um, level, their sensitivity reactions are significantly reduced uh-huh. or eliminated. Uh, right, yes. What about other mental health conditions or indeed any other conditions that you find of real use with hair mineral analysis? Um, I actually find, you know, it's just through the sheer number of patients that present with the thyroid and adrenal picture, yeah. um, it's really, really useful. Unfortunately, that's the most difficult one to address because it does take a long time to turn the entire metabolism around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, thyroid and adrenals, mental health, uh, so anything, you know, depression or anxiety, insomnia, um, insomnia. Pretty much any, yeah, any condition. I find I I run a test with every single patient that comes through. So I I don't think there's any condition that can't benefit from looking at that investigative approach. Well, we all have minerals, don't we? <laughs> um, now there was one other issue of contamination which I forgot about: smokers, or indeed mm. children, when the parents are smokers. Yeah. <laughs> How do you find the um, the hair mineral analysis there? Any issues with um, contamination? That's a really interesting one. No, not so much from contamination, but from intoxication. Oh, so, right. um, Yeah, <laughs> of cadmium and nickel usually. 
So I find with smokers that I have seen, I don't get that many smokers, funnily enough. I think people are getting the message. But the few that I have seen on their secondary, so the retest, hair analysis, a lot of cadmium was coming up, up straight off the chart and nickel as well. So um, it's very interesting for them to see. And one of them was able to address it instantly. He pretty much said, I'm quitting now. And he did. Yeah. Um, because he realized how much it was affecting him. Um, and another one was a younger girl who, unfortunately, due to social pressures, wasn't able to do that. But um, really revealing to see how much toxicity is sitting in that person due to cigarette smoke. And, it's you know, when we look at what cadmium does to the body and how much of a neurotoxin it mm. is, mm. Um, you know, it's, it's quite incredible that there's not more publicity around it because these people are literally being poisoned. Yeah. Just uh, a quick question about limitations, um, mm -hmm. you know, like false positives versus po false negatives, you know, wrong excretion route for that um, nutrient or mineral or, or toxic mineral or whatever. Or what about other pathologies limiting normal hair growth? Um, look, I haven't really come across that many false positives or negatives because it's, you know, we, we are looking at that overall metabolic pattern. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the time, what I have found is very interestingly, the most um, significantly sick patients mm. sometimes get one of the most normal hair analyses really? the first time. And, yeah, and this is a bit of a paradox. I've only had maybe three or four who presented, you know, either with serious psychiatric issues or um, serious long-term infections where, you know, I know that their body is not working properly and the hair analysis comes back and looks fairly normal. You know, there's nothing really um, that out of order. But what's interesting with those is the metabolic type that is, uh, uh, you know, a descriptor that comes back with the hair analysis yeah. is usually the worst type. So it will usually be like a slow four or a fast four, which tells us that the body is actually under severe metabolic stress. Right. So what I find with those um, patients is you need to really institute a program that's appropriate and then retest two or three months later. So a much shorter retest time that will uh, show the changes that have been instituted. Yeah. And would that also direct you to more appropriate tests then? Absolutely, yeah, yes. Right. And then you know there's other missing pieces of the puzzle, yeah. definitely. Gotcha. So now you've mentioned a couple of times you're developing some webinars to help practitioners and, and indeed that's my last question for you, resources available for practitioners to learn from. Yeah, I've got some webinars coming up and um, these really came about uh, just through, uh, you know, the, the social network between practitioners, um, you know, Facebook groups and things like that yeah. where I was being asked a lot of questions <laughs> about hair analysis and um, I, I thought, well, this could be actually really interesting because the case studies that I've seen are really significant and could help a lot of other practitioners. So, I've decided to develop um, these webinars you. that are coming up soon. 
and share the knowledge Excellent. and my love of, of PowerPoint charts. <laughs> well, well, you know what I like? That what, I'm, what I'm most impressed about is that it's a practitioner teaching other practitioners rather than a company saying, look what we've got. You know, because obviously exactly. there's there's always that undertone of, hang on, what are you trying to sell me? I like the fact that it's going to be, you know, appropriate, responsible use and um, looking at where it can be appropriately used and where it indeed can't be. So I, I've, I'm very impressed. Good on you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and look, in terms of resources, I guess the first port of call for practitioners is to call up the company that they're testing with, you know, because they have technical support and they do, of course, see a lot of um, hair analyses or other pathology. So they are the first port of call. But um, I find the value that I can add, I think, in this area is through that case study application and looking at the patient relationship and the patient treatment so not just the test and isolation and I think that yeah that's where the value comes in. Well Maria we'll definitely put that uh, the the link up for those webinars on the FX Medicine website so that our listeners can access those if they wish. So I've got yeah well look I've got to say thank you so much for joining us on FX Medicine because I like the way that you approach it in I mean obviously you're a fan of it but you're a fan of it because you've seen the results. And the results have been in helping people. And that, to me, is the big be-all and end-all. You know, you're helping people, particularly with mental health issues and developmental disorders. And that, I, I really take my, my hat off to you for, for doing that. So, well done. Thank you. Thanks. I really appreciate it. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. If you're a healthcare practitioner and want to learn more about how to develop more targeted treatments for your patients using genetic testing then Bioceuticals DNA Testing in Practice is for you. This 10-module professional development course, presented by Dr Denise Furness, is designed to help you unlock your patient's health potential. You'll learn how to move away from the trial and error approach that so typically leads to patient dissatisfaction to a targeted clinical model defined by decision-making that distinguishes those patients most likely to benefit from a given treatment from those who will not. For more information on the DNA Testing in Practice 10-module program, visit the Bioceuticals website or contact your Bioceuticals sales representative.